Welcome to the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics. Here is your host, Lori Reichel, the Puberty Prof, a nationally recognized health educator, author of the award-winning book, Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty, and creator of the Talk Puberty app. And welcome to the Puberty Prof Podcast. I'm your host, Lori Reichel, the Puberty Prof. As mentioned in previous episodes, this set of 13 episodes is focusing more on the emotional, mental, and social events that occur during those preteen years. This includes young people trying to figure out who they are as they age, as well as the different coping skills that they might choose. For me, one coping skill that I had used when I was going through pre-adolescence was reading, and I was reading a lot particularly when there were school breaks. Today's guest, Dr. Danny Grizel, is going to talk about how this hobby has many benefits for young people. Before we continue with asking our guest questions, I would like you, if you don't mind, Dr. Grizel, Danny, to say hi to our audience and also introduce us a little bit about who you are and anything that you've done, anything you'd like to share for our audience to know more about you and your personality. Well, thank you so much for having me, Lori. Thank you, audience, for listening. Uh, I really appreciate the service that you're offering, Lori. I I think uh, not enough people understand uh, the niche that you serve. There's so many parents out there struggling with preteens. They're embarrassed about uh, health education, things like that. And you're you're providing a wonderful service. Uh, I've been in education for the last 30 years. I, um, I left journalism to become a, a, a teacher, uh, you know, for the noblest of reasons. I was, I was being offered, I had a great job where I was offered reporting gigs all over the country and a major newspaper offered me $16,500 a year to be a city beat reporter. And then a friend told me, oh, they need uh, teachers in uh, inner city Los Angeles for $25,000 a year. So I became an educator for the noblest of reasons, for the high pay. And uh, (laughs) it was a true blessing for me, Lori. I got to work, taught all age levels, I tell people, from preschoolers to rocket scientists. I can make that claim because I used to teach English as a second language to engineering students at the University of Southern California. I became a teacher because of the movie Stand and Deliver, which if uh, people in your audience haven't seen the movie, you got to go check out the movie. It's the true story of Jaime Escalante going to Garfield High School in East Los Angeles to teach advanced placement calculus. So I said, I'm going to be Jaime Escalante. So I was originally hired to teach 12th grade social studies in Compton, California, in South Central Los Angeles. And they switched me from working with high school students to middle school students, to upper elementary, to lower elementary, to pretty soon, instead of preparing students for college, I was coming home with snot marks all over my pants from my little ones hugging me all day. Uh, It just became my life's passion. Uh, I can actually make an argument for every single age level. But what I love about your specific niche, Lori, is uh, middle school is the age where kids are really starting to identify themselves And as a teacher, as a parent, it's amazing how one throwaway comment can actually change a person's life. You know, uh, I can't tell you how many kids, you know, I'll I'll, I'll tell a seventh grader, oh, uh, you know, Lori, you're a really good writer. I bet you become a writer someday, you know, and 20 years later when you win the Pulitzer Prize, you're like, I remember Dr. Purcell back in seventh grade. That's the power of middle school. And I I always loved my middle school students. I, I, I taught 
eighth grade special education, which was not special education. It was 16 boys that nobody else wanted to teach, eight African-American, eight Latino. And if their life wasn't miserable enough, they got stuck with the white dude as the teacher. It's all hormones mm-hmm. at that age level, but it's so rewarding. The kids, you can have such an impact on them. And uh, I want all the parents out there listening to understand that just because uh, a preteen acts like they're not listening to you. It doesn't mean they're not paying attention to every word you're saying. So uh, it's really important uh, what we say and how we act in front of our, our preteens. And uh, hopefully I'll be able to give uh, some useful tips to your audience today. Excellent. And thank you again for being here. And what's interesting to me is when I talk to people in the educational field, there are some people that when you ask what grade is your preference, even for like future teachers. And there are some people that are like, I would never teach those grades of that pre-pubescent and into pubescent years because the moodiness and, you know, like, I don't know how to handle some of what they're going to say. And I loved it the most. There was something about fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade that I understood in the morning they might get off the bus because I used to do bus duty and they'd be a little grumpy Or an hour later, they might be like, hey, Reichel, how's it going? And then an hour after that, they're crying or, you know, like they have these hormones that are released and they're trying to figure it out. I mean, all of a sudden, a rush of hormones, it's a lot to take on. So can I ask you, do you remember your puberty and adolescent experience? Do you mind sharing anything? Oh, I remember it quite a bit. There's a... uh... There's a young adult author who's world famous named uh, Will Hobbs, best-selling author all over the planet. Uh, he writes books that are especially popular with teenage boys, a lot of outdoor adventure books and uh, that take place in like Alaska and Washington and Colorado. Um, he has a, a great book called Crossing the Wire, which is about a 15-year-old boy in Mexico trying to make it into America so he can feed his family. And before Will became a best-selling author, He was my seventh grade reading teacher in Durango, Colorado, and Will was the first person to get me interested in reading. He had 5,000 books in his classroom, and every day at the beginning of class, he would tell us what he was reading. We would tell him what we were reading, and the rest of the 50-minute period, we read. Whenever we finished a book, uh, we'd take it up to Mr. Hobbs. He'd put down the book he was reading, look through our book, ask us three or four questions, and if, if he was satisfied with our answers, he gave us a point. Every book up to 200 pages is worth one point. Every extra 100 pages is worth another point. You needed 25 points to get an A, and the top five point totals had their names written on the board. And I wanted my name written on that board. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea by Jules Verne. 500-page book, four-point book, Lori. Also... An excellent Disney film starring James Mason and Kirk Douglas. I didn't really feel like reading a 500-page book, so I took the book up to Mr. Hobbs, and I learned a very valuable lesson that day. Books ain't always like the movies. And guess what Mr. Hobbs did? He gave me the four points. And that's when I learned a great teaching technique. Guilt works because I read every word (laughs) of every book from that point forward, uh, wound up with 44 points, went well above and beyond what I had to do. He used the single greatest strategy I've ever seen a teacher use to get me interested in reading. He found out what I was interested in, which was football. And at least once a week, he'd come up to me with a book. He'd be like, hey, Danny, check out this book on John Elway. I know you'll like it. What are the odds I open up that book? In my experience with all age levels, 
100%. Kid might not read it, but they're definitely going to open it. And in my experience also, by the fourth time I do that with a kid, they're going to try and read that book because there's nothing more powerful than somebody significant in your life, a parent, a teacher, uh, a coach, a pastor, a, a, an older sibling, a buddy saying, you know what? I was thinking of you when I was reading that. So that's one of the most positive things that I remember from uh, my adolescence. What I, I was very blessed, Lori. I had teachers that really supported me. Both of my parents were in my home and they were very encouraging you know, uh, my wife is from Singapore and she grew up in a very negative environment with people telling her what she couldn't do her entire life. Whereas I have a, a photograph of me when I was four years old wearing space boots, a San Diego Chargers jersey, a sheriff's badge and a fireman's helmet because I was going to be the first ever astronaut, professional football player, police officer and firefighter. I mean, that's the world I grew up in. And I think every kid should be in that kind of world where they see all the possibilities available to them. Say if there are some young people that are listening in mm -hmm. and saying, you know what, dude, reading isn't cool. That's for like a certain type of person. It's reading, especially with all the media out there. You can jump on a computer and get things and be on TikTok for hours at a time or get thrown into cat videos if you're into that kind of thing. So what would you say regarding that comment? I'd say they're speaking my language. I grew up hating reading, Lori. Uh, my father was a librarian. I always hated the public library. It always smelled funny. There was uncomfortable furniture. There was always some woman telling me to be quiet. And it wasn't until I started teaching in the inner city where I said, shame on me. I, I started to recognize all the advantages I grew up with, which I never, I always took for granted. I mean, both my parents, like I said earlier, were present in my home. We were lower middle class, but we never had to worry about anything to eat on the table. We always had dinner. We ate together. Uh, we had plenty of books around us in our home. My parents read in front of us. They read to us. And uh, a lot of kids don't have that. And this is my, this is my specialty. I, I love working with, you know, struggling and reluctant readers. And I always tell this to parents, four out of five struggling and reluctant readers are going to be boys. I think a lot of that stems from, if you look at the statistics for kindergarten through second grade teachers, 96% of them are female. And what you're going to find is most of us tend to read books to students, books that we like. And there's a great, uh, I don't remember which of the diary of a wimpy kid books it was, but there's this great one where it's uh, the mother decides to create a mother son book club for the, uh, for Greg Hefley. And uh, so uh, all the boys in the neighborhood come and, and she's told them all to bring something to read. And so the mother, she brings like Anna Green Gables, Sarah Plain and Tall, Little House in the Prairie. And the boys, the books they bring are like How to Cheat at Video Games, The Book of Bodily <laughs> Functions. Uh, and I, I'm like, that is so true. And it's really one of the easiest tricks as a parent or as a teacher is, you know, listen to the kids, find out what they're interested in. I have three children, uh, two daughters and a son, and they all have very different reading habits. And But all of them actually, they're all teenagers and all of them at one point really like manga. Manga is a, a very popular genre right now, which is basically like, you know, comic books. And I, I tell people this, the research is very clear on this. It doesn't matter what you read. What matters is how much you read. It doesn't matter if you're reading James Joyce or, or James and the Giant Peach. People who read more read better. 
And so I'm always trying to find out, this is my simple trick with students. I'm trying to figure out what they're interested in. And as a teacher, as a parent, I always, you know, when I was a middle school teacher, I was the only teacher in the history of my school to have zero tardies for my class. And the, the trick was, I always began class with a Paul Harvey story. I don't know if you're not, not as old as me, Lori. I'm at this point, chop off my head, count the rings. But when I was a kid, I used to listen to Paul Harvey on the radio at 1215 every day. He'd say, I'm Paul Harvey with the rest of the story. And he'd tell you these quick little stories where you're trying to guess who is he talking about, what he's talking about. And my students absolutely love them. I mean, um, and I still do it that to this day. Actually, the last book that I wrote, Leadership Begins with Motivation, is basically an homage to Paul Harvey with all kinds of these short little quirky stories where the kids are trying to figure out, uh, uh, oh, who's he talking about? Uh, There's one I was just sharing with a class. Actually, let me, uh, I should read it rather than try and just get it from memory. It'll be better to actually read it. But it's about... um, And what's the title of the book again? The book is called Leadership uh, Begins with Motivation. It's each chapter, you know, Asian is a suffix that means action, which whether I'm teaching my little ones or my older ones, as my students exit my classroom every day, I always say the same thing to them. I say, remember, kids, education is valuable, but execution is priceless. Knowledge is not power. Only applied knowledge is power. Mm -hmm. Knowing what the right thing to do and actually doing the right thing are two different things. So go out in the world and do the right thing. This is basically how I say goodbye to my kids every single day. So this is a quick story, if you'll bear with me. So on the morning of January 17th, 1977, Gary Gilmore in a plain t-shirt strapped into a chair with a bag over his head, awaited a firing squad of five law enforcement officers to execute him at the state prison in Draper, Utah. Convicted of murdering a gas station employee and motel manager in Utah the year before, Gilmore would be the first person in the United States to be executed in nearly a decade. Shortly before his execution, prison officials asked Gilmore if he had any last words. Neither he nor anyone else that day would know the impact of those words. Over 10 years later, in 1988, Dan Whedon, an advertising executive who co-founded the Whedon and Kennedy Agency in Portland, Oregon, made something of a morbid pitch to a struggling fashion company. He recalled the inmate's final words and used a slight variation for his pitch, and seemingly everyone hated his idea for the company's new slogan. Just trust me on this one. Whedon implored the company's co-founder, and the co-founder, his company, and the public have not looked back since. The co-founder's name was Phil Knight. The struggling brand he co-founded was a shoe company called Nike, and advertising executive Dan Whedon slightly altered death row inmates Gary Gilmore's final words, let's do it, into the phrase, just do it. The phrase has become Nike's signature slogan, helping to turn a niche brand into a global multi-billion dollar giant and etching the phrase indelibly into consumers' minds around the globe. Leaders don't wait, they can't, they have too much to do. So these are the types of stories I love to share with the kids and uh, all those people that say teens and preteens are disinterested. That's, that's, a, uh, that's a bunch of hogwash. You, you tell them an interesting story and you'll have them on the edge of their seats. Well, I know when you were reading that, I was like, I think I know what it is. I think I know what it is. And I did. And I think it's really neat because I could see that with young people too, because they want to know, okay, what, you know, what's, what's the final answer there. And which you said earlier that there is a relationship between reading and success. Would you mind sharing a little bit more of that? 
you know, there's plenty of readers that don't necessarily become leaders, but I, I have never read about an effective leader that was not an avid reader. Actually, one of the things I want to do for your audience is I'm going to give everybody a complimentary e-copy of my book, Read, Lead, and Succeed. And in researching that book, you know, I, I looked at titans of industry and all of those people, you know, people like Warren Buffett and Elon Musk, they they still read several books a day. Uh, you look at uh, uh, political leaders. Uh, actually, there's an interesting story that uh, President Kennedy was at a press conference and somebody asked him what he, he liked to read. And he mentioned this little spy novel that nobody had ever heard of. And it became a bestseller after he mentioned it. And they decided to make a movie series about the character whose name was James Bond. Ian Fleming was the guy that he was talking about. Teddy Roosevelt, President Roosevelt, they say read three books a day, even while he was president. You know, even athletes, uh, I could have kissed LeBron James. I'm a huge Los Angeles Lakers fan. But when he was playing for the Miami Heat, before the NBA Finals, they they went into the locker room and they they captured LeBron James on camera reading The Hunger Games by Suzanne Collins. Mm-hmm. And I, I could have kissed him because I'm like, he just did more to get kids interested in reading than I can ever do in my entire life. And so this is this is what I like to point out to, to kids is, hey, you want to aspire to go far. And I don't care what you read. I can't tell you how many seventh grade boys, Lori, there's no way I'm getting this kid to read this textbook. But if I give him a manual on how to fix a Chevy, he'll memorize it from cover to cover because he's interested. Uh, I was I was working with a sixth grade boy and uh, his teacher was complaining to me that uh, he didn't know anything. And I'm like, this kid knows every statistic for the L.A. Dodgers. There's if you teach him using stuff with the L.A. Dodgers, believe me, he will memorize it because he's interested. And I think that's really one of the failings. I mean, one of the reasons I hated reading growing up was they always assign things to you. They, you know, the classics. I think Mark Twain said a class, thank God for regular books because it gives you something to read after you finish the classics in, in school. <laughs> and he's, he's absolutely right. In high school, I was forced to read The Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne. And I'm not going to put down the books. I know plenty of people love that book. I hated it. Uh, It's a story of Hester Prynne commits adultery. And so she has to wear an A on her chest. And I told my teacher, I want to wear a B on my chest because I'm so bored reading this book. Mm -hmm. And if it was a smart teacher, she would have let me pick out something else to read. Because the whole point of the exercise is, can you read critically? And it doesn't have to be Ernest Hemingway or John Steinbeck to be able to read it critically. I mean, there's, (laughs) when was the last time somebody asked you in your business to go read a novel? I mean, Mm -hmm. it's, it's more important to just be able to read critically. Uh, This this is what I tell people nowadays. There's no such thing as fake news. There's only people who rely on one news source. I mean, God gave you something between your ears. You need to use it. So you should be looking at, I I was a history teacher is how I started my career. And the first thing I always teach my students is history books are usually written by the winners. You know, every event in history has multiple points of view. And in this class, we're going to consider different points of view. I don't, I'm not going to teach you you know, what to think. I'm going to teach you how to think. And I think that's what all of us, the the moms and the dads out there, this is what we need to be doing with our kids is uh, setting a good example, getting our kids to question why, you know, uh, I mean, as, as a parent, as a teacher, as a human being, the best lesson I've learned is I don't know that much. And I need to question things all the time. And my wife likes me because, uh, 
whenever she suggests a better way, if it works as a better way, I accept it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know that. My, uh, UCLA basketball coach John Wooden said, it's the things we learn after we know it all that matter the most in life. And I couldn't agree more. It's funny. I was talking with somebody else for another episode, and I noted how my students often will say they leave the class thinking more than when they came into the class. Because part of what we're doing is trying to prepare their brains to have this creativity, this thinking, this problem solving, because these future generations are going to have challenges that they're going to have to figure it out that they've never experienced before. So that's part of that critical mind. So going back a little bit to your experience growing up, do you think that reading helped you during those preteen or teen years? Well, again, Lori, I wasn't a reader at all. I mean, my favorite, if you were going to ask me what my favorite thing to read was, it was probably the TV guide. But okay. that's that's completely disavowing the environment I grew up in. I mean, my parents read voraciously in front of me all the time. My I, I used to wash the dishes and my brother and sister used to dry the dishes. And as we were doing the dishes, my mom was constantly reading aloud to us. I mean, my mom has never received a piece of mail in her life that she did not feel compelled to read aloud to every single person in the room. <laughs> you know, uh, and that's the environment I grew up in. My parents, if we watched TV, they would always force us to discuss whatever we were watching. And um, there was a lot of critical thinking involved there. Uh, This is a tip I give to parents all the time is uh, I don't believe we should fear technology. I think that we need to embrace technology because it's not going anywhere. So I think TV is here to stay. And one of the quick tips I give to parents is turn on the closed captioning. Uh, a lot of people say, well, wait a sec, if the, if the show's in English and the subtitles are in English, what good does that do? Well, that's a fair point, but let me make a point. How often have you ever watched a TV show with subtitles where you didn't look at the text at the bottom of the mm-hmm. screen? That's very difficult for you to do. Your brain is drawn towards that text. And there's actually research that supports this. If you look at reading scores around the world, the more kids watch TV, what do you think happens to their reading scores? They always go down, except mm-hmm. for one country. The country that watches the most TV in the world has the highest reading scores in the world. It's Finland. Now, how can that be? Well, Finland makes really bad TV shows. So they have to import old episodes of Gilligan's Island and the Brady Bunch. They put subtitles there. The kids are reading constantly. So it's an easy, quick win. Turn on the closed captioning. Uh, You know, I was with a fourth grade teacher and and she told me, Mario, Mario can't read. I went, okay. Well, Mario, who couldn't read in one hour with me, I watched him text at least 10 of his friends. He sent a couple of emails. He surfed the web. He's highly literate. She's using a definition from 100 years ago. Reading doesn't have to be confined to reading Shakespeare on the printed page. It can be, you know, they say that kids in 2021 in a single day encounter more text than a kid growing up during Laura Ingalls Wilder time encountered their entire lifetime. Mm -hmm. And so there's just processing speed. And we got to keep their attention. You you know this, you're an educator. It's not just education Mm -hmm. anymore. We got to entertain them also. We got to, we, you know, people's attention spans. Most people have a limited attention. um, What were you talking about? I mean, (laughs) that's how quick it is for people. And so we got to constantly keep our, our kids' attention. 
Yeah, and I have to say in the field of health as well as physical education, that term literacy has come up over the past years of, okay, so are you understanding what you read even on like a simple health product? If you buy something, even if somebody chooses to shave a part of their body and they get a canister of shaving cream, are they able to read it and see if it's best for them? Actually, I was just thinking of another product. It's called Monkey Butt Powder. I don't know if you ever heard of it. It's actually, (laughs) you can look it up. It's, you can find it online. And what's interesting is some of my college students have heard of it. You put it on like to prevent chafing. Like if you're riding a horse, if you're riding a motorcycle, but there's a variety of uses, but we use that as an example to talk about health literacy. And I'm like, but can everybody use this? And it has a cute little monkey on it. And the the buttocks are shown It's a little swollen. It's a, it's a cartoon. So it's not a, a real monkey to support the product, to advertise for the product. Yet part of it is, okay, you have to really read who this is for because those of us with a vulva, it's not recommended for because you don't want to put it in that area. So it's that health literacy. Are you reading how to properly use a product and then do it correctly. And that's, it's right. Reading skills, understanding skills, and then application, like you had said earlier. That's great. You're teaching critical thinking skills there. You know, what's right for one person might not necessarily be right for another person. Totally agree. Yes. Now you have, you said that you have children. Yep. How about them with their reading? And have you seen success with that? Yeah, so thank you for that, Lori. I mean, I have uh, my oldest daughter is Kate. She's 17. My uh, my son, is, Sean, is 16. And my youngest daughter, uh, Samantha, is 12, going on 13. And this is a tip for parents and spouses out there. I think you need to be reading with your kids and your spouses. And so I have books just with each of those people. So uh, my wife is a huge uh, Diana Gabaldon fan, and so I have to read all the Outlander books in order to have coherent conversations with her. Uh, My oldest daughter, Kate, uh, what was the, I I think the name of the series we just finished is Shadows and Fog. It's been made into a Netflix show. And so uh, we talk about that together. My son and I are reading The Killer Angels by Michael Chara, which is one of my favorite books. It's about the Battle of Gettysburg and uh, it's written from points of view. And a, a neat side note about that book, it won the Pulitzer Prize and Laura Hillenbrand, who wrote Seabiscuit, she said in an interview, the reason she wrote Seabiscuit was she had read The Killer Angels and she she realized there's a different way to tell history. And that's what how she wrote Seabiscuit. And then my youngest daughter is reading with me Around the World in 80 Days by Jules Verne, which is another one of my favorite books. But okay. it gives us, they're basically dates with each of these kids and my wife. Mm-hmm. So we have something interesting to talk about. I mean, one of the first things I tell people is if you want to know the secret to a long life, Turn off the TV news and read a funny children's book. I can already tell you what's on the news tonight. The world is coming to an end and whoever the president is, is doing a bad job. It's been the same negative news for the last hundred years. You know, Mm -hmm. read something positive, uh, uh, soothe your soul. I mean, one of the quick tips I give parents that I do for myself is I'm always trying to, uh, I'm trying to learn things all the time. And so every day I have all these different reminders. And so fear, fear is a big thing. I'm trying to overcome fear. And so 9-11 every morning I have on my phone, a a monologue from the book Dune by Frank Herbert. It's called The Litany Against Fear, where I, I remind myself, I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total 
obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. So I'm trying to memorize this right now. I have uh, different pieces of scripture. So at 123 every day, I have a, a reminder to read James 1, 2, 3, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, uh, you know, uh, at... Uh, at 316, I read John 316. You know, I, I do a lot of work in Egypt with Islamic audiences, so I'm trying to become more familiar with the Quran. And so I have at 553 every single day is from the Quran, chapter 17, verse 53, speak that which is kindest is from the Quran. So, and I do that. I I've done that with uh, different quotes that I want to learn. I'm trying to remember the soliloquy from uh, the St. Crispin speech by King Henry V, Shakespeare. But those are the types of things. Those, those are fun to me. I'm trying to trying to memorize things. But it's, it's infusing quick little reading uh, mm-hmm. every single day for me. Those are the types of tricks I try to give parents because, you know, it's not easy being a parent. I mean, it was either uh, Socrates or Keanu Reeves who once said, you licensed a fish a license to drive a car, but any idiot can become a parent. Well, now that I'm a parent, that's been proven true. But in defense of parents, nobody gives them a guidebook at the hospital. And I think Mm -hmm. one of our jobs as educators, one of the things that you're doing with this podcast is you're serving parents by giving them the answers to the questions a lot of people might not feel comfortable uh, speaking about out out in the open. I mean, uh, puberty, I don't think there's any more awkward conversations you can have than adolescence and puberty and you are fulfilling that niche. And that's why I just absolutely love your show. Thank you. And this is a great segue. This is perfect. Perfect, Danny, because earlier I was going towards your puberty experience and we got into the reading. So, and you're free to pass on this question, but do you remember those body changes, that stuff when you were growing up and any advice for any of our listeners about if they're a parent with a child going through those changes or a child themselves? Absolutely. Uh, Thank you for that question, Lori. I was speaking in India and after I spoke, this little boy in the audience, he came up to me, he was missing a limb and he said, do I have any hope? Which is a horrible question. That just Mm -hmm. broke my heart. And I told him, I'm like, well, when I was your age, everybody called me stupid because I stuttered and I went to 18 schools before I was 12 years old. And finally I was put in a school where I had a teacher and she was patient with me and she would sing things to me and I would sing them back. And it's kind of like the movie, the King's speech. And gradually I lost my stutter and I became a swan, but I I pointed out to this little boy, I'm like, isn't that interesting that the little boy who everybody said was stupid and couldn't speak now gets paid enormous sums of money to go all around the world to do what? to speak. speak right. And he needed to hear that. When I was in sixth grade, I was five feet tall and 160 pounds. And when I was in 12th grade, I was six feet tall and 180 pounds. So I tell people I went from meatball to spaghetti. Mm-hmm. It was very awkward those years. Uh, your, your body's going through all kinds of changes and, um, you know, but that's, that's part of life. I, I used to always tell my kindergartners, I'm like, I hope to God this isn't the best year of your life. You know, I hope <laughs> next year and the year after that. I mean, I played high school football with guys that still talk about when we played high school football together. I mean, to me, that's pathetic. You know, the windshield's much bigger than the rearview mirror. You should constantly be looking forward, mm-hmm. not be looking back. That's a great statement. Because I've heard so many people say, oh, this is high school supposed to be the best time or the middle <laughs> school or, or college. And I'm like, if you're living your life in my eyes correctly, it's every day. 
and you yeah. keep on living every day because I don't want to say, okay, high school was the best time. Well, then why am I still here? You know, like there's so much <laughs> that I choose to enjoy. And I'm so fortunate to be able to go hiking and kayaking or cooking with, with my significant other and, and all of, there's so much beauty in the world. I mean, one of my favorite phrases or motto is I want to take the ride I bought the ticket for. I want to make sure I'm enjoying each year of my life and taking challenges. Great life philosophy. I love that, Lori. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Well, thank you for sharing everything you're sharing, in which I'm going to now go to a little bit with your children. Do you have any advice about like when your children and you have a 12-year-old that they're going through these bodily changes? Any advice for any of the listeners for helping children as you know, as a, a parent, as a parental unit? Yeah, there, thank you for that, Laura. There's two, there's two qualities I've seen in all great teachers. And no matter what you do in life, I always say all of us are teachers and role models. Yeah, I uh, agree. Parents are the most important teachers. And there's two qualities yeah. I've seen in all great teachers. First one is patience. I mean, how many of us have taught a kid something on Monday and Tuesday morning, they show up like they're from outer space? You know, so you teach it again. And you teach it again. And you teach it again. And great teachers have lots of empathy. It's really easy for you and me, Lori. You know, we already know how to do it. It's mm-hmm. the getting to know how to do it. That's the trick. And if you can do those two things as a parent, you're going to really uh, give your uh, your child wings. Okay. I have to have a little um, admission here in this podcast that one of the reasons why I love working with younger people is I sometimes have more patience for younger people than people yeah my own age, our own age, because Uh it's like, wait, you can't figure that out. You've been on this planet so long. And I don't mean to be disrespectful yet. I think I, I just enjoy seeing that learning process and have that patience of, well, they don't know better. And even when we look at that topic of puberty and human sexuality, some children aren't provided correct information and skill development. Like how do we talk about consent? How do we talk about like healthy relationships using I feel statements, that kind of thing? If they're not taught it, why should they be punished? Yeah. Isn't that true, Lori? How as people get older, they start to know it all. And I love, that's where I found my passion was with the little ones because they don't know what they can't do yet. Mm -hmm. And it it, it kills me when I see a a cynical 12 year old. I mean, I had a, uh, this is thinking back 25 years ago, I was teaching fifth grade and one of my boys came up to me and he said, uh, Ms. Brassell, my mama says the reason they call it the White House is because you got to be white to live there. Well, now I could say, not anymore. You know, uh, yeah. I was speaking, uh, I do a lot of work in India. And I spoke to an all-girls school, 5,000 girls, and uh, it's K-12. And these two seniors came up to me after the presentation. Beautiful girls. One wants to be a doctor. The other, other one wants to be a lawyer. I said, that's great. Are you going to go to university here in India? Or maybe you'll go to uh, Great Britain or the United States? And they said, oh, no, no. We're girls. We can't leave India. I'm like, get back in that auditorium. Got them back in. I said, now is your time, ladies. I mean, within the next five years, India is going to become the largest country on the planet in terms of population. You know, you're a very young democracy. You're just over 70 years old, yet you've already elected a woman prime minister. America still hasn't elected a woman president. I mean, right now, there are twice as many women in India as there are people in the United States. There are actually more women in India with a graduate degree than there are people in the United States. And I told them, 
You just made my entire life mission that the next world leaders, the next uh, titans of industry, the next really good parents are sitting in this audience right now. Because don't let anybody tell you what you cannot do. You can accomplish anything you want in life. If there's one thing that reading has taught me is that doesn't matter what the adversity is, successful people, they overcome that adversity every single day. I mean, Mm -hmm. teenagers are so awkward. They don't know what they're going to do. I used to show again. I, this isn't political. I, I'm not political, uh, but I used to, I used to show a a photograph of three men, and I, I blocked out their pictures. And I'm like, let's talk about these three individuals. The guy, the guy on the left had a, a, a D grade point average in high school, couldn't even get to university. So he went to City College of New York, where he boosted his grades up to a C average, taking mostly physical education courses. But he was ROTC, went into the army for 20 years. 20 years later, he went back for his master's degree and got straight A's. Fortunately, Secretary of State Colin Powell wasn't judged on how he did in high school. I'm like, now the guy to the right has an interesting designation. He's the only person to be kicked out of Yale twice for bad grades. He got accepted to Yale, went to Yale, got kicked out within six months, went back home, fell in love with a girl. Well, her family wouldn't let her date somebody that wasn't a college graduate. So he went back to Yale where he promptly got kicked out again for bad grades. So what did he do? He went to that bastion of higher learning. Casper Community College in Wyoming, where he took an interest in political science, transferred to the University of Wyoming, got straight A's. Fortunately, former vice president Dick Cheney wasn't judged on how he did at Yale. I'm like, now the guy in the center of the picture, I'd love to tell you how he did in school. But the moment he ran for governor of Texas, he had all of his transcripts sealed from kindergarten on. And let's just say they don't usually seal your transcript if you're a straight A student. And that was President George W. Bush. Now, again, this isn't political. By anybody's measure, these are three highly successful individuals. But goodness sake, thank goodness they weren't judged on how they were when they were teenagers. I mean, you said it earlier, like we got to be, we got to constantly be growing forward, forward, forward. It's actually always awkward for me when people introduce me based on past accomplishments. Cause I'm like, well, that's not, I, I feel like Al Jolson, you ain't seen nothing yet. You know, uh, I was speaking at an event and a woman was introduced as it was like Miss America, 1965. I'm like, Oh my gosh, you're still riding Miss America, 1965. I mean, what are you doing now? So uh, for those parents of teens out there and for the teens out there, you know, your best, is yet to come. Your 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 story's still being written. It's not how you yeah. start, it's how you finish. And I find sometimes students at a variety of levels, they think they have to have this perfection and mm-hmm. everything has to be this, like, I'm not supposed to make mistakes. And I'm supposed to, even in my own field, like you're critiquing my lesson plans. Yeah, I've been doing this for a long time. I'm supposed to be doing this. You're coming to the table, not doing this. However, I do ask that you look at my previous comments from a year ago and start applying it because that's where I can give a little attitude, but you're not supposed to. Why would you be in college if you already knew it all? Yeah. And it's okay. The the 4.0, you know, I, as an administrator, former administrator, I would interview people and I, they would put down sometimes the highest GPAs from college and a master's program. Yet, what was most important was, are they qualified to go and teach the students? Are they able to be open-minded? Are they supportive? Are they caring? And do they have a basic knowledge of their content area and skill? So it wasn't about a 4.0. 
It was good for you. I completely agree with that. So before we end in this session, and I really appreciate you have so many fascinating stories and all, (laughs) do you have any thoughts or recommendations for our listeners? Well, I wanted to supply everybody with some some uh, some goodies. So uh, for for you and your listeners, if they go to freereadingtraining.com, again, that's freereadingtraining.com. I'm going to give everybody an e-copy of my book, Read, Lead, and Succeed. This is a book. I wrote it for a principal who didn't know how to engage his faculty. So I said, okay, I'll write you a book. So once a week, I give you a concept, an inspirational quote, an inspirational story, a book recommendation on a book you should read. Uh, and I'm also going to provide a couple of digital trainings I do with parents on how to get their kids excited reading. I mean, this is my passion, Lori. I, I think that schools do an adequate job of teaching kids how to read. But the question I always ask people is, what good is it teaching a kid how to read if they never want to read? I teach kids why to read because I've never had to tell a kid, go watch TV. I've never had to tell a kid, go play a video game. And I never want to have to tell a kid, go read a book. I want them to choose to do it on their own because they're excited about it. I mean, the more excited we get people to read, the more likely they are to read. The more they read, the better they get. And uh, it's amazing to me how I'm playing catch up because I wasn't a reader for so much of my life. And now I read anything and everything. And uh, I really encourage uh, families out there to read together. And, you know, one of the simple tips I provide parents is if it if it takes you 10 minutes each way to take your kids to school, put in an audio book. You know, that counts. When I was doing this book on successful leaders, uh, I interviewed 500 Fortune CEOs and over half of them were dyslexic. Well, dyslexics. One of the best ways to learn is from listening to things. They, they learn better when they hear it. So audiobooks are fantastic. There's tons of research on this. And don't feel alone. The greatest thing about books is there's actually a book for anything a kid's going through. There's books about kids that don't speak English as a first language. There's books about kids that are being bullied. There's books about 9-11. And it's, it's, it always lifts up my spirits. I'm always looking for kids that they, they didn't seem to fit in. And then they rose above it all. So, I mean, actually, the the story I was writing the other day was about uh, Elon Musk. I mean, he was bullied as a kid and he spent a lot of his time in the library. And even to this day, he reads like two or three books a day. But reading is what got him through a lot of those times. And he'd read like comic. I mean, I'll do corporate trainings. And I always ask the executives, what was your favorite book growing up? And his teenagers are always 70 percent of the audience like. Fantastic Four, (laughs) Spider-Man, Batman. I mean, comic books count. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, you don't have to be reading Shakespeare and all this literature, you know, uh, the the Bronte sisters, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's not always the way to hook a kid onto reading. And that's what I'm always trying to do. I'm trying to build it based on, I mean, I used to volunteer with at a juvenile detention facility for, for teenage girls. And the way I got them hooked on reading is uh, in Us Magazine, in the very back of Us Magazine, there's this thing called the Fashion Police, where they have all these comedians ripping on celebrity outfits. And these girls, they couldn't get enough. They're like, oh, look at how they did. You know, they were just laughing. And that's how we got hooked. I'm always looking for the hook. Well, I thank you so much, Danny, for being here today. And what I'm going to do is for the episode, I will put the link so people can go right to the link for the freereadingtraining.com. So I thank you again so much for being here today and encouraging us. I'm excited. I, I love to read. Like I said, when I was younger, I read all the time. And I think tonight that's what I'll be doing after dinner, doing some reading. So thank you for, for raising my 
my desire for even today for reading. And for the listeners out there, I thank you so much for listening. Again, look for Danny's website, thefreereadingtraining.com. Uh, sign up for that. Also feel free to, I'm sure you have a link on there if somebody wanted to get in touch with you. Sure, sure. <laughs> okay. And then you can also get in touch with me. You can go to pubertyprof.com. And I thank you everyone for listening. And I hope that you have a happy and healthy day. Thank you, Lori. God bless. Thank you for listening to the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics. Did you enjoy this episode? Please like, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow the Puberty Prof on Twitter or Instagram. The Puberty Prof, Lori Reichel, wants to hear from you. Go to pubertyprof.com or click on the link in this episode's description. There you can find more information as well as ask questions to be answered by the Puberty Prof in a future episode. That's pubertyprof.com. Also, remember to check out the Talk Puberty app and the book, Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty. Until next time, this is the Puberty Prof Podcast where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics.